This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In this episode, I interview Nicole Jardim, who is the author of Fix Your Period, and she had her own personal experience with birth control that has led her to build an entire business in supporting women to fix their periods. So take a listen to this episode and hear her perspective. What I'd like to run through is just get your thoughts based on you know, your experience, because you've just published your book, Fix Your Period, which I read and highlighted much of it. What I think is really important for everyone to understand is you referenced a lot of data and you also spoke to a lot of experts to put together your book. I'd love to get your reaction to a couple of these points around birth control. So the first one I wanted to start with is if you aren't trying to get pregnant, there's no point in bleeding. So I'd love to get your reaction to that based on all the women that you work with, plus all the research you did to write your book. I think that this is such an excellent question. And I have, I just had someone ask me this on Instagram yesterday, actually, and I am constantly asked this. And I think that the importance of the menstrual cycle to overall health has been generally dismissed by conventional medicine. And that to me is the biggest underlying cause for this belief that if you're not trying to get pregnant, then there's no point in having a period, there's no point in any of it. And what I want to drive home is that ovulation is the star of the show, not your period, your period is just sort of an end result of the ovulatory cycle. And so traditionally, the menstrual cycle has been viewed as a bodily process that happens solely for reproduction. And that viewpoint, I think is changing as more research is published to support the system wide benefits of having consistent ovulatory menstrual cycles. But at the same time, we still come up against this and that's because it's continually perpetuated. But what's really interesting to me is that there are two sides to this coin. There is the, you know, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists who in 2015 released a report actually acknowledging that menstruation should be recognized as a vital sign in girls and adolescents. And of course I go ahead and I extend that to you know all the females because your menstrual cycle is a barometer for your overall health, no matter your age. But the point here is that ACOG actually said this and they stand by it. In fact, in that report, I'm gonna, I'll quote this because I think that this is really the crux of the issue. So they said, identification of abnormal menstrual patterns in adolescents may improve early identification of potential health concerns for adulthood. It is important for clinicians to have an understanding of the menstrual patterns of adolescent girls, the ability to differentiate between normal and abnormal menstruation, and the skill to know how to evaluate the adolescent girl patient. And by including an evaluation of the menstrual cycle as an additional vital sign, clinicians reinforce its importance in assessing overall health status for patients and caretakers. Are you kidding me? This basically tells us everything that 
your menstrual cycle is 100% a reflection of your overall health, whether you're an adolescent, whether you're an adult. And so this is really what I believe we need to be focused on. And when you think about ovulation as being a vital bodily function that, you know, all women and girls and anyone who's menstruating need to experience regularly and whether you have a pre you're interested in having a pregnancy or not, and that, you know, ovulation will occur or ovulation that does occur on a consistent basis is going to be what drives these levels of hormones that are not just for reproduction. We're talking about estradiol. This is the most potent form of estrogen. We're talking about progesterone. We're talking about testosterone and a few other hormones that play a role indirectly in ovulation. And so these two hormones, particularly estrogen and progesterone are, you know, always referred to as hormones that are, you know, that are only useful for reproduction <laughs> or your menstrual cycle. And they really shouldn't be because they play so many critical roles in the body, but they've been marginalized, so to speak. And they're just referred to as that. But when you think about your brain health and your cognitive function, and there is research to back up all of this. So anyone saying, oh, show me the research. I'm like, well, here it is. It's, I mean, it's very clear. You just have to Google search it really. But like estrogen and progesterone are your brain's friends. This is why hormonal birth control in many cases where it stops ovulation is tied to major mood disorders. Sleep regulation is also a part of the estrogen progesterone role. Oftentimes, if we're in a low estrogen state, particularly if we've come off of the pill and we're not ovulating for a long period of time or we're in menopause, uh, we can't sleep well. Progesterone also supports quality sleep. There's bone density, same as above. When we're in a low estrogen, low progesterone state, like amenorrhea or menopause after being, you know, amenorrhea after being on the pill, uh, or we're in like a primary ovarian insufficiency or premature ovarian failure, there, there is a serious risk for bone related problems. I, I've had many clients in their even in their 20s who have shown up with osteopenia after being on the pill for a long period of time or anovulatory for uh, other reasons like hypothalamic amenorrhea. And finally, heart health, breast and uterine health. There again, multiple studies, there's multiple uh, bodies of research that show heart diseases tied to low estrogen states, uh, breast and uterine health are protected by progesterone. That is the progesterone that is made by your body. And this is just a snapshot of the ways in which ovulation is vital to our overall health throughout the menstrual life cycle. So not just at one point, but throughout meaning. So when we say that, I mean, puberty all the way through perimenopause. So when we're talking about whether we just need to bleed or not, like that to me is just a microcosm. And what about then risk of these cancers? So there are some that, you know, have talked about like tribes where women are, you know, getting pregnant often and breastfeeding often. And, you know, it, it has been shown that, um, you know, they are not having these cancers like endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer, yet we do have that in Western society. Right. And do, is there clarity on like, I mean, clearly we need to have a clinical trial or like some kind of like clear database instead of just comparing apples to oranges because yeah. they have a very different lifestyle. And is it as black and white as how many babies you have. I think we all agree the human body is made or the woman's body is made to create babies. 
whether or not you want to have them. So the more you can do to normalize the body to allow for that, the better the overall health. But, you know, is, is the Western culture of either not having or not having a lot of kids impacting our health? How much do we know about that? And <laughs> is not having kids or not having your, or having your period re- increasing your risk of endometrial cancer as an example? I think it's really interesting. It, I, I think that there really needs to be a nuanced approach to this because obviously human bodies are that way. And one person might respond to something differently to another person. Some women have you know, really challenging pregnancies and it leaves them in a state of complete depletion and their bodies don't function well afterwards and they need a lot of rehabilitation, whereas others do great with multiple pregnancies and they're fine. So again, each body is different. But I think that there are multiple factors to consider here. I think the first is, yeah, what else in Western culture is contributing to cancer rates skyrocketing? I mean, we can't just look at one aspect of our life or health and say, oh, yeah, that's that's it. We can't isolate that one thing. But I mean, Western culture, we're literally set up for chronic illness or degenerative illness. So I don't. I don't fundamentally believe that turning off ovulation on a consistent basis with a hormonal birth control of some kind is the answer to solving the cancers that women develop. Like, I don't personally believe that I am not a medical doctor. I'm not a scientist, but that that's, that's the way I choose to live my life and the way I choose to educate my clients. And ultimately what I understand of consistent ovulation and consistent cycles, ovulatory cycles, is that these, these hormones that we create are protective. There's a caveat though, again, like there's so much nuance because when you think about, when you look at something like a Dutch test, for instance, so this is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. That's what Dutch stands for. And what you'll see on that is uh, a list, you know, the sort of like a breakdown of your hormones. So you'll see estradiol, estriol, estrone. So these are the main estrogens in the family of estrogens. And what you'll see from there is the breakdown from those three estrogens after phase one of liver detoxification into metabolites, and then a further breakdown after phase two of of detoxification. So you'll see how your hormones are breaking down. That same goes for progesterone, testosterone, all of these other hormones. And what's fascinating about that is that you may have perfectly normal estradiol and your estrogen metabolites. So your estradiol breaks down, like I said, and so those metabolites might be too high or too low causing symptoms. So it's not just you look at estrogen at face value and say, oh, well, your estrogen is too high or whatever. And you know, you're at higher risk of whatever cancer or whatever other problem, like whether it's heavy periods or whatever. But my, so my point is, is that there is testing that is just not at all really accepted in the mainstream, or it just doesn't exist as an option in mainstream medicine. And when we look at those kinds of tests, you can clearly see that, you know, for instance, um, 4-OH, so that's a breakdown metabolite of, of, of your estrogen. So it breaks down into that potentially. And if it's going down that pathway, there is a higher chance of, you know, of you developing certain types of cancers. So if you correct that pathway, so you push it down a different pathway, a more protective one, like the 2-OH, 
then you will effectively be helping yourself avoid certain cancers. I can't say that that's the case for everyone, obviously. I mean, like, you know, it, it really is so dependent on so many factors. So all I'm trying to say here is that ultimately we have a lot of tools to help us prevent certain cancers. Uh, there's lots of screening, there is testing, um, there's the diet lifestyle component, there is stress, there's sleep, there's environmental chemicals that are driving our estrogen to levels that we've never seen before. I mean, so many of these are xenoestrogens, and they cause this estrogen dominant situation in our bodies, which, you know, I'm constantly working with clients, asking them to remove as much of this from their environment as possible. So it's a multifaceted approach. And I just don't believe that this one size fits all approach is the answer. I completely agree. Now, when I'd read Dr. Lara Bryden's book, Period Repair Manual, and um, highlighted much of that as well. And <laughs> I was fortunate enough to have her on the podcast last year in uh, 2020. And that was where I first heard about the different types of PCOS as an example. Right, and yeah. one of them is birth control pill induced PCOS. And I have seen that there's controversy over that viewpoint. In this interview, the statement was made that when you're off of the birth control pill, it's out of your system in three days. Yet we hear these consequences, again, somewhat controversial. So I guess one, is there a trial on it based on all the women you've spoken to, um, the research you've read? and the other experts that you've collaborated with, like how should, like what do we know and what is unclear? My concern is, so what, is that enough? Because you've now been controlling your hormones for X period of time. So even if it's out of your system, that's part one, but yeah. really what we care about is not if it's out of your system, but has your body been impacted? So exactly. I, I guess it's, it's hard for me to say like, I think it's a bigger question than the black and white. Is it out of your system? Yeah, there's a lot of black and white, isn't there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I saw that you had written that, I, I thought it was so interesting because I agree with you completely that, yeah, sure, it's it can be out of your system. These, you know, these synthetic hormones can be out of your system. But how long were you on the pill for? Were you on for 10 years, 15 years? What did you go on it for? Did you go on it because you had heavy periods, period pain, uh, migraines, like what, you know, irregular cycles, PCOS, we could go on and on, right? So what, what exactly did you start the, the birth control, whatever that was that you're on for? How old were you? And how long have you been on it for? And, you know, what has been brewing below the surface during this entire time that you decided, not you necessarily, <laughs> not blaming anyone, but you went on this pill to kind of shut down everything so that you know, the symptoms would go away. And so these are the questions I want to ask. I feel like, again, this is a really nuanced conversation. This is a conversation that requires a significant amount of investigation and question asking. And it's not just, oh, well, the hormones are out of your system, so you're going to be fine now. Because as is evidenced by my work and Lara's and everyone else in our field, this is clearly not the case for a significant amount of people. I mean, like I was just talking about the, you know, the Morena IUD yesterday, and it is incredible to me, the varied responses to this type of IUD, right? And most of the time women are offered it as a solution for heavy periods. 
But all I'm thinking about is, well, do you have heavy periods because you have a bleeding disorder that could be life-threatening if you were to have a hemorrhage during childbirth and you didn't know about it? So why are we not asking more questions about what is causing these problems rather than saying, oh, well, you know, this is now out of your system and, and everything should be smooth sailing from here. I find that the medical gaslighting that occurs is just so shocking that it is just, it's really unfair because it perpetuates this belief that women are going crazy, that they're not they're, they don't, they, their bodies are, don't work properly. It, their bodies are not to be trusted, that they're just this mysterious thing that you just have to take a pill for and call it a day. And this belief that our bodies are somehow defective, like they don't work properly. And as a result, we need some kind of medical intervention or we need a pill to, to stabilize. And that's, I just think is really unfortunate. And I, I really am committed to changing that narrative. One point I did want to clarify is I don't think any book that I have read, yours, Dr. Bryden's, uh, there's others that are on my list to read, ever have said, don't take the pill. So I just want to clarify yeah. that. So given that these women, most of them are going on it because there is a problem, um, and even for those who are going on it to prevent pregnancy, we want to make sure there's no issues being caused what would you say yeah. are the main things a woman should know when choosing? So we've already established yeah. you need to ask questions before you jump on the pill. So let's assume we've gotten to the point where whatever the conclusion is, the answer is take the pill. How does one choose? I think that informed consent is so critical in this situation. And really what that means is you're pre being presented with all of the options for birth control, if that's what you're going on it for. You're then being, and or if you have another condition, you're also being presented with other options for addressing that condition as well. You are being given information on the pros and the cons, so the side effects. And, you know, in an ideal world, I feel like anyone who wants to go on the pill or like the, the ring, for instance, or any of these forms of hormonal contraceptives that have a higher risk of blood clots be tested. Like there's, you know, there's a test that can be done to um, determine whether you have a higher risk of these. And so like a genetic higher risk and because thousands of women die every year in the United States alone from blood clots caused by their hormonal contraceptive. And I've done multiple interviews now with people who have talked about this and the fact that it's just generally overlooked. And then I, I hear from women that they, they had that and they almost died and you know, they came off the pill, but they had no idea. And so this is, you know, to me, what we should be, the information that we should be presented with when we go to the doctor, but also doing your own research. And when I say that, I'm not saying, oh, read scientific studies and all this, because of course, when you're a doctor, you're trained to do that. <laughs> So very difficult to interpret studies when you're not trained. And so my point, though, is to read up on people's experiences and, and really feel into your intuition about this. Does this feel like the right decision for you? We've been taught for so long to turn off this inner voice, this inner knowing, this intuition, this body wisdom that we all have, because for the longest time, we go to the doctor 
the doctor's like, okay, we're going to fix this. And then, and we go home with whatever it is that they've given us to fix whatever problem we have. So we have this system already set up from the time we're children, where we go to the doctor to fix the problem. And there isn't really a lot that's done outside of that. And I feel like that's changing, but it's still one of, it's generally, it's generally what happens. And so when we're presented, when we're in a situation where we're older now and we have these chronic conditions like irregular cycles, or we have PCOS or endometriosis or any of the things we were talking about, um, we go to the doctor, like we want to make sure that we're getting as much information about this particular type of birth control that we can get. So that's, you know, that's where I would, I would say people start. And I will also say too, I am not anti any kind of birth control. Like I just want everyone to choose what feels right for them. There's some women yesterday who are telling me all about the marina and how amazing it's been for them. And I am so happy for that. Like I really want us to be able to be happy with what we've found and it actually works for us. And it's not just like, oh yeah, well, you know, I have these side effects, but I'm terrified of getting pregnant or I'm terrified of my endometriosis pain coming back or my heavy periods coming back. That is no way to live. Like we can't be living constantly in fear of our bodies. Like we have to understand how they work and that your cycle is telling you stuff. It's actually communicating to you. We've just never really learned how to read the signals. And as a result, we're just so scared of our bodies that we're willing to just you know, slap a pill on it and call it a day. And that's, and that to me is not okay. Right. Yeah. But thank you for, for your perspective. I really appreciate it. And, and what I would encourage, like I, we could go on and on about this, but your yeah. book, Dr. Bryden's book and others really talk about the detailed considerations, the types of hormones, things that might be going on with you that add additional consideration. So I would just encourage people to read that and better understand those details to be able to make the decisions, um, especially if they're not up for reading a clinical trial, because sometimes those are hard to, <laughs> yeah. to dive through. Um, I, agree. I would say to Lisa Hendrickson's book, um, okay. The Fifth Vital Sign, it's an excellent book. She details a lot about hormonal birth control and her focus as a fertility awareness educator is, is helping people use the fertility awareness-based methods to, uh, as birth control, 